Matthew, hey. are we good? Yeah. All right. Welcome to welcome to Smarten Up with JP and Fab. Matthew, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? I'm all right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Look finally nervous. Finally get to meet huh? Matt. Yeah, huh? I know. Finally get to meet you. We've been yeah. working for a while. You've never met him? I've never met him. No. Oh, fuck. No. How much business no. have we sent? First you time I, met, I talked to Fabio on the phone. I don't even know. I think you called me. Yeah, you called me. Yeah, I called you out of the blue. Yeah, that's right. I called you out of the blue because you did some work for one of our clients years ago. And I'm just uh, no hit against lawyers, but oh my God, people take forever to get anything done, and you just we get got it done. done, eh? I hate lawyers. By yeah. Way. Well, the first time I met Fabio, he says, "Well, you know, I'm not a volume shop." I said, yeah. "Well, we are a volume yeah. shop." <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like you get it, you just get it done. So, um, for those listening, um, we have Matthew Ordor. I'm saying your last Ordor. name. Ordor. Ordor. Okay. Yeah. So you are a business lawyer, essentially. Yeah, I'd say I'm a business law generalist. Okay, perfect. And you run a firm, how big? Eight people right now. Right. How many transactions do you say a year? Um, little and big. You know, when you when you move money from every time in law, you have to put your money in your trust account. Right. And then when you're done your file, you move your money from your trust account to your general account. Right. So if you use movements from the trust account to the general account as a proxy, yeah. you're looking at over a thousand situations. But some are very small. Could be, you know, renewing a, a, a an annual registration, and some are bigger, doing a deal, buying, selling a business. So it's a mix. And you don't you don't do real estate law. You, no, we you, don't. You focus no, specifically I, with business. Yeah, just business law, general business stuff. So lots of incorporations, uh, the reorg work, as you know, uh, that flows from the incorporations. We do commercial leasing. Do a lot of contract reviews, uh, a lot of contract drafting, some deal work, but all buying and selling a business. Um, I would say small, people say small to medium size, but medium size is probably on the high end of what we do. So it's mostly entrepreneurs, people starting up, small business people. Perfect. So what, what I want to get out of this uh, today, and I'll let JP um, ask some questions after, is there's two things. A, I want to kind of get your your background and your path to becoming, you know, you're self-employed, you have a, you, you run your own company. So regardless of what industry it is you're in, you're running a company. So I want to get your path there. And then next, I want to quickly go over the benefits of being incorporated for a startup business, right? So like somebody just fresh uh, starting off, maybe they quit their job and they're starting their first business, primarily the service-based, right? That's what I want to get out of it. Anything else? No. Yeah. I just, uh, I mean, for, for this one, uh, I think people mess up uh, when they start a business over and over again. Probably eight out of 10 people mess up because they just go online in court and they think they've done it all. Um, so I'm excited for you to, uh, to help assist them with that. Yeah, but I let, think yeah. I think uh, for me, I'm a horse before the cart kind of guy. So I do believe that there's a basic level of legal expense when starting a business. But I'm also not a fan of blowing the whole budget on legal fees. A lot of people come up to me and say, and they're just starting up with an idea. And they want to trademark their name across the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. And that's like $4 million a yeah. year. Talk to McDonald's. So I'm like, listen, you know, let's get your business started. Let's get you incorporated. Let's get your sort of uh, uh, organizational documents prepared properly. So we have evidence of who the directors are, who the officers are, and who the shareholders are, what the deal is with you. If it's you alone, it's a little bit easier. Uh, but especially if you have partners, 
okay? And then, you know, go and get momentum behind what you're doing. And then once you generate some cash flow, how you decide to spend your, your uh, money, if that's through IP protection uh, and trademarking or whatever, that's fine. If people want a little more name protection to start, I sometimes recommend a federal company because it's a different incorporation process that arguably results in a little more name protection in Canada than just a provincial company. But generally speaking, when you're just lifting off, I kind of would say watch your dollars and don't invest you know, tons in stuff that's not necessary to get going. But there's a basic level of legal work that should be done so that you're set up properly. Right. So from that particular perspective, we'll, we'll kind of get back to your story in a mm-hmm. bit, but um, from that perspective, a lot of people come to us and they're like, okay, well, I have a corporation and they went online, you know, on Corp Direct or whatever mm-hmm. it is, they spent 350 bucks and they incorporated a company, mm-hmm. okay? And they give me the articles of incorporation and then I say, okay, where's your minute book? And they're mm-hmm. like, what's a minute book, right? So from that particular perspective, these people out there right now that are starting a business, you know, they're tight for cash, whatever it is, right? What is the actual process of incorporating, right? You have to create the the articles and then then what? So basically you have two, with us, we do two kinds of companies. We'll do an Ontario company, we'll do a federal company. An Ontario company is all electronic. There's certain three service providers in Ontario that do this work that are connected with the government. Okay, you, you file electronically now. Actually, I think they're getting rid of their office downtown, so you can't even go and get your article stamped anymore. It's all electronic. So Ontario Company happens right away. So the first step is to file your articles of incorporation, get your certificate of incorporation. Okay, that's the first step. Federal Company, the step to get those certificate and articles is a little bit different. Okay, so you'll you'll make an application with Corporations Canada. They'll look at the application. In particular, if you're choosing to do a named company, they'll scrutinize the nuance search. Because with a federal company, they want to see that the new that the name is distinctive. Somewhat. Doesn't Sorry to interrupt. Do they check against all the provincial registrations as well or just a federal registration? Uh, every province. So when we do a federal company, we do a nuance search and we'll click it it scans the whole country. Okay, so they'll look at it and they're, they're asking the question, is this distinctive? Now, you don't have to be like Kijiji distinctive, but you've got to be, you can't be ABC moving. Okay, so that's a process. They'll look at it and then they'll approve. And if you get, get your name approved federally, they'll issue the certificate and articles of incorporation. Once you have that government paperwork back, the process with a federal company, an Ontario company, is similar going forward, okay? So with a, with an Ontario company, you'll file what's called a Form 1, which is notification to the ministry that uh, who these directors are, where your registered office address is. And with a federal company, you actually file what's called a Form 2 Extra Provincial. So you'll elect, in our case, most people elect uh, Ontario to be their home base where their registered office is. So it's a similar type application to the ministry saying this is who the people are. This is, uh, it's called a Form 2 Extra Provincial, similar to a Form 1, but in the federal context. Then behind that, you're looking at your minute book documents. Okay. And so when we prepare a minute book, we do a, a, a bylaw one and two, which are general procedural resolutions, signing authority, meeting procedures, this kind of stuff, borrowing bylaw. To me, it's antiquated paperwork that's sort of been carried forward over the years. A lot of it, it's it's 
virtually identical for every company. We change up some of that. Some people insist, for example, to have two people sign, not one person. So that's something that's very that's variable with our incorporations, but the bylaws themselves are pretty standard. Behind that, you'll see the organizational resolutions, which will elect the directors, okay? Appoint the officers. Some people don't choose to appoint officers right away, but some do. Typically, you'll have a president, a secretary, treasurer, okay? Um, it doesn't mean you have to go run around calling yourself the secretary, treasurer, but these are sort of standard offices for sort of meeting procedures and stuff like that. And then the other thing you'll do with the organizational resolutions is authorize and issue the shares. Okay, and that at the end of that situation, you're going to have evidence of who the directors are, who the officers are, and who the shareholders are. So the directors are the people that are sitting in the boardroom making the big high level decisions. The officers sort of carry out the marching orders on the street and the shareholders are the owners of the business. Now you're talking in terms of uh, when you talk of officers, you're talking of uh, a a bit of a bigger company. But in most of the companies that we're dealing with, it's owner-occupied. So with, with, with that being said, what, what, what happens if people are going out and just incorporating online? I think what they have is they have articles of incorporation. They are on the articles as the incorporator and the director. So without anything more than that, I think they have what they need essentially they're not in compliance because you're supposed to have registers and ledgers and other documents okay in accordance with the business corporations act but nothing else if you have your articles of incorporation and you are the sole director on those articles i think that you're not necessarily in compliance but i think you're safe to proceed with your business because nothing about that company can change unless that director on that article signs on the bottom line to make the change okay some problems can happen when for example there's a two-person company and i'll give you an example so all we get is the articles of incorporation on a two-person company one of the people on the articles happens to own 99 percent of the business and one happens to own one percent of the business but without anything further behind the articles you have a big problem because you're sitting there and the only evidence of anything is two names on the government document. So if there's ever an issue or a fight, you have no evidence of what the share ownership is or the split is. So I think it's less consequential in a one-person situation and very consequential in a more-than-one-person situation to prepare that back-end paperwork. And I've seen, um, I can think of just now, two past client uh, issues that, you know, I always encourage people, hey, just go to a lawyer and spend the damn money and and get it done correct. Because you're not going to, it's like anything, you're not going to notice the issues until they arise, right? So if you're out there smoking a massive cigar every single day of your life, until you get a problem, like a health problem, you're not gonna notice the issue necessarily, right? And I think that it's a ticking time bomb when the corporation is not set up properly. And I'll give you two examples. One would be um, confusion amongst spouses, right? So let's say, you know, 40, 50% of marriages break down, right? And it's like, okay, we started this business and did you start it together? Or did you just, or did you not start it together? And ownership means something in family law 
right? So, you know, we have, uh, let's say a client incorporates a company and husband and wife are both working hard to like get this thing going, but only the wife is the shareholder for whatever reason. She went online and, and did the incorporation. 10 years later, there's a breakdown in the marriage and then she walks away. There's got to be an equalization payment, whatever it is. But now we're in court litigation because no, I'm actually a 50% owner of this company, but there's no evidence there too. So that's one issue that I, I've seen creep up. The other would be, remember the, there was um, in the construction industry, there was an individual went and incorporated a company and then essentially there were handshake deals and there were two other individuals that were supposed to be shareholders of this company, but were never, nothing, none of this was ever papered. There's about a million, $1.5 million of retained earnings. And now the other people were like, hey, let's get this papered. The other guy's like, get out of here right now we're in litigation and you know you know what happens in litigation that 1.5 million dollars is going to go straight to the lawyers what about right? something as simple as i mean if, if the company is not organized because there's two steps there's one incorporate the company creating the articles two organizing organizing also has who the shareholders are yeah well how the hell do i pay a dividend if if the shareholders are set up i agree with that i mean a lot of people do I think <laughs> yeah. the thing that I'm seeing when people come to us, there's, there's a couple things. Um, and a couple problems that I'm seeing, I'm seeing a, uh, accountants incorporating companies. So they do it great from a tax perspective, but they screw up the minute book and you know, our insurance does not cover that work. And I, you know, I could figure it out. I can read and write in English, but I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to even attempt. The other thing I see is sort of, see, you're, you're a business lawyer. So that's pretty much all you do. I also see these generalist lawyers that will do anything. They're closing a thousand, uh, they're doing litigation. They're closing a thousand real estate deals. They're doing corporate commercial. They're doing criminal law. They're, they're just doing everything under the sun. They go and they'll charge their they'll charge their client for a corporation and they will have there's going to be no tax considerations whatsoever right i think if you're going to do it right especially if you have a continuation of a sole proprietorship or you're going to incorporate a new company but you're already an entrepreneur i think it takes two heads that have to look at it i think somebody's got to look at it from the tax perspective whether it's a a tax accountant or a tax lawyer Right. And then there's the corporate commercial, like the, the legal aspect to it. So I have this problem where, you know, people are coming to us and they're bringing me, you know, they went, they went incorporated their own, their selves or their bookkeeper incorporated a company and they had a successful sole proprietorship or partnership before that, or a lawyer, their real estate lawyer who closed their real estate deal incorporated a company and it's like, yeah, I'll give husband and wife 50, 50 regular common shares. There's no pref shares. There's no, you know, th these are the problems that I'm seeing. So yeah, it could be easy and it could be cheap, but with anything, I think going the cheapest route and going necessarily the quickest route sometimes leads to problems down well, the road. Well, I think it's like penny wise, pound foolish, right? right? So like people try and save a few bucks to start up and it leads to problems down the road. So yeah. again, I think it's a balance. I think that uh, you can get an incorporation done for a reasonable price. Obviously, the more complicated it is, the more time you have to spend on it, and that's fair, and the price goes up. I get that. 
but I also think that you have to um, you, you have to also avoid over planning and going crazy when starting up. So I think it's a balance, but I think that just going on uh, online on your own, incorporating a company, I think you're 100 percent right. You're you're bound to whether it's today or tomorrow, I can't tell you. Some people say, we just want the articles. We don't want the organizational documents. I've had that happen to me with all the companies that I've done, and I've done a lot of companies. I've had that happen to me maybe three or four times where they absolutely insist that's all they require. And I think without exception, three to four months later, for some reason or another, they've had to come back to me to prepare the organizational documents. So I think just you know, start up, get it done right, Okay, make sure that you're set up properly and off you go. That's good. I think it's great advice. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're, you're speaking to this um, because people are just, uh, over, it's probably the one of the number one things that we see in error next to people not doing the rollover is is not setting themselves up correctly. And yeah, it's it's about 1500 bucks. If, if you're not, if you're gonna get into business, Know that you have this expense up front. Otherwise, don't get into business. Yeah, that's. And if you have, if you're getting into business with somebody else, like multiple people, I always encourage people to do this, and they never do it. Is get a shareholder agreement. Like most of these shareholders agreements are boilerplate with a couple of changes, right? So, you know, because even with a husband and wife, right? Because you know, the wife might be watching the money properly. The husband doesn't care, or whatever it is, like. Have a shareholders agreement, mm-hmm. right? It's I don't think it's a huge expense, is it? No, it's not. Depends on what you're doing, but like for a two-person file, I really think you can get a uh, you know a, a decent shareholder agreement for you know around a thousand bucks or so, give or take. Um, depends how complicated it is, and then the more people involved in the company and say the purpose of the the like some people say, well, you know, we're planning on. Uh, doing a couple capital raises shortly. So you design a certain agreement to accommodate that down the road, price goes up a little bit. But uh, for a 50-50 agreement, um, and the way with us, when we do a shareholder agreement, we always just start with an hour-long phone call. Once we're retained, we'll talk with the, the shareholders, we'll go through the provisions, we'll talk it through, make sure they understand what they're signing. I think a big problem is you grab a template offline, people do their own legal work, and they don't really understand what the provisions are that are in there and why they're in there and how they work and whatnot. So I think it, you know, some people want to incur that expense right away. Some people don't want to incur the expense right away. The trouble is, um, you know, the only time you ever think about it again when you don't have it is when there's a problem. And when there's a problem, it's very difficult to get an agreement signed or settled. Yeah, because people are going to, they want this there's a fight. their side. Yeah, there's, well, there's a, fight, a fight and it's impossible. Right. So, so know. I mean, other than the tax benefits, because we've clearly spoken about the tax benefits a number of times, right? What are, in your opinion, the biggest legal benefits of running an incorporation, running a business through a corporation rather than a sole proprietorship mm-hmm. or a partnership? Mm-hmm. I think the one of the biggest benefits is this concept of limited liability. So the company is a separate legal person at law so it can contract in its name it can own property in its name and so the theory is if you if uh, somebody has a claim if it's clear that you were doing a job for somebody through your corporation and somebody has a claim against uh, you know with regards to the work you did or something 
Um, and there's some exceptions for professional incorporations who can't shield their professional liability with their clients or their patients and in the case of doctors or whatnot. For the most part, um, the claim would be against the company itself and not you personally. Okay, so that sort of uh, narrows your um, uh, the amount that you could p potentially be liable for. Okay, so it's like separating your personal assets from your business assets. Okay, so um, uh, you you enter into uh, you incorporate the company. Um, the claim is typically uh, against the company itself. There's other ways to shield your liability. One is insurance that you should look into, and one is a, uh, an operating contract where, with a proper sort of limitation of liability or disclaimer language. You know, I'm promising to do that, not that, where you properly set up the expectation. So I think limited liability is more than just the company, but the company is a good first step. The other thing is, and not just sort of a client claim, you know, you, if you hire somebody, you want to hire them through a corporation, not personally. Okay. Um, again, any legal relationships you have to the extent possible when carrying on business, you want those to be with the corporation. Now, some people will look behind the company. For example, if you borrow money from a bank, okay, they'll loan the money to the company most likely, but they'll ask for what's called a personal guarantee. So you personally will be brought in if you want to borrow the money through the company. Okay. The other example, typically what we see is in a landlord, commercial landlord. Okay. They'll lease, they'll make, they'll allow your corporation to be the tenant, but they'll want you to personally guarantee the obligations under the lease. So there's things that, that, uh, certain types of creditors will look around the sort of the company, but for the most part, trade creditors, employees, suppliers, these kinds of people, I think you'll be able to shield your liability. Um, now, one of the things I would point out about that is there's, it only goes so far because as your, as time goes by and your company becomes wealthy, in and of itself, just because the company only is the person on the hook doesn't mean you get off scot-free because now your company, when it started up, it was just, it was, it was a newborn with no assets. Once you accumulate assets and you have like retained earnings in the company or you've acquired property or whatever else you have, um, that is up for grabs if a claim is made. So why these other things of insurance and whatnot become important. There's different techniques, creditor proofing techniques, using a holding company or different stuff probably beyond the scope of this conversation that you can do. Um, but I think limited liability is one thing. I think also um, your ability to grow your business. It's the better, it's a better format to grow your business. If you want to bring in a partner, if you want to think about incentivizing employees through a stock option plan. Okay. I think it's the right format to grow. It's also a better um, model for, um, there's this concept of perpetual existence, as long as you file your tax return, okay, it keeps going. So I think it's a better structure to facilitate like estate planning, okay, or passing, passing the ownership of the company to the next generation in your family or something like that. So I think it's the, it's a better structure. Um, and, uh, you know, what, if you do business as a sole proprietor or in partnership, general partnership, personal liability is a big issue. Okay. So you're not shielding yourself from that. Um, so I just think it's a, it's a, it's a better structure the, the, uh, the government allows you to do this. So take advantage of it. I think that was a good answer. I was gonna, I was gonna, you know, say one thing to that in, in limit liability is, is obviously the huge takeaway from that. But, um, if it, if you do work for me as a lawyer through your law firm, 
and there's an issue, I'm still going to sue you personally. <laughs> I think that's true. Right. I so, think that's I, and, true. and that's one, that's one thing that you hear people say a lot, but you know, as long as, as you operate as a company legally and you haven't done anything illegal, the corporate veil should protect you here. I think you're correct. I think there's certain things like now the lawyer is the example of the professional corporation where you cannot shield your personal same liability. With same with accountants, same with doctors, same with there's certain regulated health professionals that are allowed to uh, to incorporate a doctor, a dentist, uh, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, these kind of people, or you know, massage therapist. Um, these types of incorporations, you can't shield your liability. So the only reason these people do the incorporation is the small business deduction, the tax benefits. But I think there's certain things, conduct that can look, that can get around the corporate veil, fraud. Um, if you're not, so if you, if you're, if you're not honest, um, if you're, if you're negligent, so that's a, that's a legal relationship that's not based on contract. So if you did something like uh, people call me, they want to incorporate a, a, as a truck driver. Okay. And the example is, well, you know, if you're drinking and driving and you get into an accident, then your company's not going to help you for that. Okay. As JP saying, they're going to sue you anyways, and they're not suing you based on contract they had with your company. They're suing you outside of that because you personally were negligent, so it has nothing to do with that. So I think different behaviors like negligence or like fraud, the company's not gonna help you with that. Okay, but for the most part, you know, honest mistakes that lead to whatever, or a slip and fall in front of your office, right? So I actually just wanted to quickly cover with the professional corporations, um, professional negligence is not, there's a look through with professional life for that class of for that professionals class, exactly yeah. but what about just other things that have nothing to do slip and fall or whatever things that are not um, i think that i think yeah and maybe i maybe i misspoke a little bit about the negligence point but i do think that if there's a slip and fall if you're a landlord and there's a slip and fall on your property i think jp's probably correct in that they're going to sue the corporation that owns the property, if it is, but they're also gonna sue the landlord on it personally, perhaps, for a different reason, uh, for for saying, look, you owed me a duty to keep the sidewalk clear, okay? So there may be, re there may be ways to look around the corporation, but I think in terms of protecting yourself from liability in contractual type relationships, a supplier that supplies product, an employee that works for you, um, um, a lender, a landlord, those types of relationships that are based on contract. I think that if, if, the, if the other party is, understands that they are entering into an agreement with that corporation and not you personally, I think that's a, a good defense to a, a claim against you personally. I was not party to this contract the the corporation was okay so then even from a professional corporation standpoint from you know you start growing your biz your professional business you have employees they're going to sign the contract with the corporation not with you so if there's a lawsuit it's like you know it 
it's more likely to be limited to the retained earnings of the corporation rather than you know your own house and your own investments and so on and so forth. That's a great example. Okay. Is that so it's still worth it? From I think so. And I always tell people that when they incorporate professional corporations, um, hiring an employee is not your liability to your your patient. Okay, buying a huge piece of equipment on credit is not liability to your patient. So make sure that these agreements, it's clear that they're in the name of the corporation. So it doesn't make it, the, the concept of liability with a professional corporation doesn't mean uh, there's no limited liability. It's just vis-a-vis -vis your clients in the case of an accountant or a lawyer or patients in the, in the case of a health professional, for example. Duty of care, I mean, fiduciary duty, anyone, I'm assuming it's along that, that line. If you're a fiduciary, yeah. Yeah. Like if you're acting as a fiduciary, so like a trustee or an accountant or a lawyer or a doctor or not, or if you're the director of a corporation, I'm assuming you're a fiduciary for, for I think the directors. Yeah. There is, that's a good point about the directors because there is some personal liability for directors of a corporation. Okay. So that's an excellent point, which is the fact that if a corporation, for example, doesn't pay its taxes or doesn't withhold its employment deductions, okay? Um, a director of the corporation can be held liable for that. So it's not that there's no responsibility. So there is certain responsibility as a director. If you don't pay your income taxes or your HST, and I've seen it before and you guys know better than me, then the director is uh, potentially liable with CRA. Yeah, so from the CRA standpoint, um, trust accounts, so payroll, in HST, it's direct to the directors. My understanding of corporate tax, though, is it it is not. Um, it, it's until you if you haven't paid your tax, and if you distribute as a dividend, that's where it becomes a, a liability. But technically, corporate tax I don't believe is a liability to a director. I don't think it can be carried through. Okay, there may be exceptions yeah. that I'm not aware of, but but, but the director's not off scot free. Yeah, it has to as a general general rule, you got to pay those taxes. Okay, so I think that was a pretty good primer okay. on like the basics of a corporation. You know, we got why you should incorporate properly, the different aspects, the articles of incorporation, the form one or the federal whatever the federal okay. one form two, and then the minute book, which outlines essentially it's like a it's like a a constitution for the cor corporation, what it's allowed to do, who the shareholders are, whatnot, um, sort of the business and legal benefits of incorporating over and above uh, those of a sole proprietorship or a partnership. And I think the takeaway for me at least is make a little bit of time and money, uh, financial investment at the beginning, and you're gonna have less problems down the road. So. I think that's the takeaway from for me. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Thanks a lot. My pleasure.